gentlemen. We have a special treat for you today. We have the one, the only. Welcome to the State Lines Network. Hey, friends. Welcome to episode 24 of the Boldly Going podcast. Boldly Going creative, brilliant, inspirational people of the universe right here on planet Earth. That's the name, and uh, that's who we like to talk to, those kind of people. And this is the first episode of 2017. We had a little bit of break there between the holidays and uh, the new year, so uh, we're getting back uh, back in the saddle, as they like to say, I guess. Uh, but we're getting back in, starting with episode 24, and this is a great episode, really fun. Uh, two great people that I love uh, to spend time with, I love chatting with because they're creative and um, brilliant. And uh, a lot of this episode, a lot of what we talked about didn't even get recorded because uh, we just showed up at their house to sit down and chat with them and uh, just ended up in a long, extensive personal conversation and about all kinds of stuff, theology and uh, just you know, life stuff and all that, and then about an hour and a half in, we went, oh, you know, we should probably, we should probably get into the uh, episode and actually record some stuff. So, uh, kind of picks up way into our conversation, uh, just talking about them. But uh, this episode is with my friends Phil Holt and Sarah Grafrida. Uh, I can never get the last name right, and I hope I said it correctly on that one. But Phil and Sarah, uh, they're uh, local Tampa. Uh, uh, native, not natives, but local, local Tampa, tampons, tampites, whatever we call them here, uh, doing really creative stuff in the Tampa area. Uh, not only the Tampa area, but kind of all over. Uh, they have a couple things. Phil is a tattoo artist and, uh, and paint artist and whatnot. He has a tattoo shop, a, a well-known tattoo shop here called Red Letter One. And, uh, He's been doing that for a long time, been an artist for a long time. We talked about that a little bit. Uh, he and Sarah together have a company called Seraphim Serifs, uh, which is a, um, a printing company, uh, print studio, uh, that's actually operated out of, the, out of their, their shed in the backyard. They've got a, a garage in the back that, that's operated out of. Really cool, doing some, some cool old school printing there. Uh, also, uh, Sarah has what's called Mon Petit Paper Company. Uh, which is um, really cool as well. Uh, it's a, the, she does custom letterpress and stationery, really cool stuff. And then also together they have a company called Old Gold Small Batch, which is a um, it's actually a uh, um, an ink company. Uh, they make their own inks for tattooing for tattoo artists to buy and use um really creative we talk about all that kind of stuff and and how they got into that what that looks like what it is really cool just a couple of really creative fun people uh that love art and they do art they both are painters and uh they just really kind of live a really cool art lifestyle and in their businesses as well and doing some creative stuff they're putting out into the world so you should definitely check them out after listening to this episode, but you can you can find them on Red Letter One. You can Google Red Letter One. You can find his his tattoo shop. Uh, you can go to old oldgoldsmallbatch.com and you can find his inks there. You can go to his personal site philipdavidholt.com and you can find out more about his art there. Seraphimserifs.com. S-E-R-A-P-H-I-M-S-E-R-I-F-S.com, Seraphim Serifs.com. You can find out about their print studio, 
hire them to do some print stuff for you. Mon Petit Paper Company. Uh, it's Etsy.com slash shop slash Mon Petit Paper Co. M-O-N-P-E-T-I-T Paper Co. P-A-P-E-R-C-O. Uh, so anyway, if you Google their names, they're going to come up. Uh, but all of that stuff is going to come up. They, they're they kind of diverse all over the place doing multiple things. And there's a reason there is a, a method to the madness behind that that we talk about in the episode. Really fun, uh, cool episode. Uh, we just sat over there at the dining table and, and chatted for a while about all those things. And Art, title of this episode today is Perfect Through Its Imperfection. One of the things that he quoted, uh, Phil quoted in the episode, talking about art and getting things right and perfect and uh, was that was that statement perfect through its imperfection? An idea, philosophy about perfection, and uh, I think that is uh, I think that really embodies a lot of what we talked about, a lot of what they're doing, uh, and so fun episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for continuing to listen to the to the podcast. I'm really excited about how it's going, what it's doing, the people I get to talk to, and these are just friends, people that I I love and I think that you should hear about, that you should know, that you should know what they're doing because they're creative, they're brilliant, they're inspirational, and if they can do the things that they're that they're doing and they can follow their dream, accomplish their goals, uh, and and love their life and and be full of life and and enjoy what they're doing in life. So can you. Uh, you can jump into it as well, and they always have some advice. There's some brilliance in what they talk about, uh, finding a way to do that yourself. So uh, listen close on the de- this episode because they talk about that as well. And as always, we are a part of the larger podcast network of the State Lines Podcast Network. Uh, please go check out state-lines.com, state-lines.com. Uh, there's all all kinds of other podcasts and articles and uh, brilliant things on the site there that you can check out. Please go follow them, uh, download that stuff as well, share it with your friends. And uh, as always, I like to encourage you to get involved in your community, do something, give back. Don't uh, don't just look at the world around you and wish it was better. Do something to make it better. Get involved with an organization that you care about that you uh, kind of speaks to what. Uh, something that you love and care about and excites you. I would love to invite you to come uh, be a part of my nonprofit organization, Current Initiatives. You can check us out at engagecurrent.org, and uh, you can get involved there, find out what we're doing, get involved if you're local or in one of the cities that we work in. But regardless, get involved in something. Do something in your community, especially in the the, the state that our world is in right now. We need some more positivity and love uh, into our world, so please go do that. And uh, follow Phil and Sarah's example on that, uh, of what they're trying to put into the world uh, to make it better. So uh, thank you for listening. Here we go. Because we've been, we've been, no, well, because I don't typically, and I didn't do it with us because we were already, because of what the you know the personal stuff that we're conversation we're having. Usually, I just start the recording as the conversation goes because I just like a I like to have a natural opener. Opener, yeah. I don't because it feels like too much like an interview the other way. Yeah, and it just for me it's just a conversation. So if you ever listen to some of the episodes, it kind of just opens up in the middle of conversations of things that are going on. And so, um, cool. but I'll do a little more uh, 
that's what I'm looking for. Not traditional, but professional opening. It's for for the podcast for you guys. So Phil, Red Letter One, and every I don't know. You got so many different things. Yep, Red Letter One and Old Gold Small Batch and Seraphim Seraphs. Right, which is also companies. Is that and that's you two together, correct? The printing. Yes. Okay. But that's more. Yeah, is that I, more your thing? Well, Sarah, or what? I have a letterpress stationery company called Mon Petit Paper Co. Oh, and okay. And everything's printed through Seraphim Serifs. Got it. Okay, that yes. makes sense. So basically, the way the print stuff works is, we have an antique, a bunch of antique printing stuff in the garage. Oh, nice. I'll show, okay. I'll show you when we're done. Yeah. Um, but there, that's where I print art. Like so, okay. my objective with the stuff is it's just another it's another medium for making art. Um, I think at this point I've played around with everything you could play with art wise, and so it's it's just a way to like it's a new tool for me, a, okay. new, a new tool to play with, and and kind of part of it is like I've been tattooing for I think twenty two years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine doing this when I'm sixty five. Okay, it's kind of terrifying. Like I'm 40. Tattooing? Well, I'm 40. I've tattooed since I was 18. And I'm like, wow, well, how exciting is this going to be when I'm 65 tattooing 22-year-olds? Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to have anything in common. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it doesn't sound fun. Yeah. Um, well, but being that I've done this since high school, it's like, you know, I don't really have a ton of outside experience. I know how to run shops and paint and do gallery stuff and whatever. Yeah. So the printing seems like a natural like thing to learn that would right? Like who doesn't want to be an old printmaker? Yeah. It just My fits. fiance's best friend is he's a young guy and that's basically uh, physically he's a young guy, but I think in his in his soul, soul. he's an old man because he does letterpress printing oh, okay. like that as well. He Local? went to some school. Yeah. Oh, okay. He works part-time for, uh, I know he works at and teaches, I think, at um, University of Tampa. Oh, right. Yeah, they have a big studio. In their program. Yeah. Um, but he went to school in Nashville. He went to, like, apprenticed at some famous letterpress place in Nashville, I think. Hmm. Um, you, should, you should send him over. Yeah. I... I did not realize you had all that stuff because I'm sure he would love mm-hmm. yeah. to love to talk to you about that kind of stuff. Um, but that's part, kind of why I wanted to have you guys on the podcast because um, much of the idea of the podcast being boldly going, um, creative, inspirational people doing doing the thing that they love, making their way in the world, um, and and doing it well, or like lessons they're learning from it or have learned from it. And you, like you said, has been tattooing since you were 18, kind of started in this countercultural type environment at the time, which is a little more mainstream now. But way, way more mainstream now. Yeah. Um, but, and so I'm curious, I'm fascinated by the idea of how you got into that and um, I guess maybe the, the culture of the day when you started doing that, like what you learned, what, how you came up in that. Yeah, I had a weird one because, I mean, I started hanging out. My, my older brother's a tattooer as well. Okay. Um, so, I mean, we got into it when we were 13, 14 years old. He started bringing home, well, he started bringing home, like, Easy Rider magazines and okay. stuff like that. I think he'd look at boobs and <laughs> I would look at the tattoos. And he started bringing home books and, like, we started, 
I don't know. I started doing like all my, you know, at school you'd have a science project or a book report. Like everything started just becoming about tattooing and art. And then um, in high school, I started working at a, a tattoo shop, just like helping out. And uh, one of the guys there took me under his wing, and he kind of spent a couple years teaching me how to paint, draw, tattoo, like that whole bit. Mm-hmm. And then when I actually started tattooing was right after high school and I bought all my equipment and started and the week I started he was murdered so oh wow yeah so then it was just this thing of like I'd been with Reed kind of along his side for a long time and he was my dude and he was helping me out but I didn't really know what I was doing like I didn't really have like a formal apprenticeship but I was in like I was in Mm -hmm. I was was in I was invested it was what I was going to do and now my my gateway to the knowledge that was gonna get me where I wanted to go was murdered, so I was like completely left alone. Um, so I, I, had a, I had a strange start. I just kind of jumped in the fire, which back then was like it was just a smaller industry, so it yeah. was, still was easier to get help. And I mean, no, it was harder to get help, but if you weren't a knucklehead, people would kind of take you in because it was such a small group Mm. you know whereas now there's more information I mean that was 95 there was no internet Mm -hmm. now with the internet you can get information like crazy and you can just learn but there's the tattoo industry's gotten so big there's a a real lack of community in it Mm. unless you've been doing it for 20 years interesting because we've I mean the, the, the guys that I'm buddies with that have all tattooed for you know say 15 years or more like, yeah. it's a different mindset. So there's a crew, global, mm-hmm. like a global crew of us that are like family. Yeah. And like you fit in with that. Yeah. But I think the younger guys have a lot harder time like latching on because there's just, I mean, I think if you if you surveyed Tampa, just Tampa, I, I would bet 75% of the tattooers have tattooed less than two years. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, like, there's just everybody's new. Yeah, like everybody's new. And if huh. you, and, and you know, in the same way, if you, you know, conversely surveyed how many people have tattooed longer than fifteen or twenty, it's probably like a couple, two, three percent. Wow. You know, so it's just a, it's a new industry. Yeah. You know, I feel like um, tattoo world, much in the same way of like skateboarding, things like that, being a we're kind of these kids over here that don't we don't fit into this other kind of other thing and this is something that's different that we can do and it becomes like you said like this family around that it feels like tattooing was similar to that probably I don't know skate culture real well okay I've never been a skater so I don't really know how that works but for but for instance like growing up again in the 80s uh, I could list off a handful I know Lance Mountain Caballero, mm-hmm. you know Tony Hawk. Like there's there's all these dudes that were like token pro, you know, like they were the pro guys back in the day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you really have that anymore. Because it used to be like you yeah. probably like let's say in the '80s, like late '80s, and you had Santa Cruz and mm-hmm. Powell Peralta, and you had a handful of companies that had like sponsored pro skateboarders. Mm-hmm. But I mean now you've got hundreds of companies and hundreds of pro riders and sponsored right. kids. Yeah. They come yeah. in and out. I mean I mean occasionally I'll 
you know, watch a Tampa Am or, you know, like look at, I don't know who anybody is. And yeah. It's just like, they, they don't really seem to repeat. Yeah. You know. Was that for you though, like the, the, the uh, tattooing and getting into that world, was that like a pseudo family for you at the time that still is? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Is that what kept you in it? No. No, I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think the, thing I like about tattooing most is just the like the actual process of doing it mm-hmm. and so like behind closed doors just me just you mm-hmm. no noise making a tattoo like that's super important um, and I, I love my my little clicky family in the tattoo industry but if I quit tattooing they would still be my family gotcha like grew yeah. up with them like the dudes that I'm close with especially out west um, they're they're never not going to be my homies. If I quit tattooing today, they're still my best friends. But the the way that if I think if I was attached to that group more, I'd probably quit tattooing. Like I don't like what tattooing's turned into corporate. Like yeah, across the yeah, it's too it's weird. It's just weird. It's what big. Is it, what is it about? Because you work, Sarah. You work at Red Letter. Mm-hmm. Do you still work at yeah. Red Letter One? Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're in tattoo world. Yeah. For how long? Uh, seven or eight years, probably. Okay. Yeah, not tattooing, just you know, observing tattoo culture. I um, mean, you, you, have you seen a change just in those times? Oh yeah, which I would attribute mostly to social media. And mm. I think what I see, because, you know, I work the front, so I don't tattoo, but I talk to people constantly, and everyone now is like, oh, I saw this tattoo on Instagram, or I saw this tattoo on Pinterest, and 95% of the time the tattoo is terrible. Uh, but no one, they don't understand why, because they're seeing tattoos that people have done, you know, and it's a, a square, so mm-hmm. if it's easy to read visually in a square, it looks awesome. Um, if it's, like, a full sleeve and it's hard to, like, pick apart the pieces, like, they can't... The sleeve is usually, you know, say it's done by someone that's been tattooing for 20 years, and it's super rad and complex and the composition and colors and everything super thought out about it. They don't know why that's awesome, but they can look at, a, you know, a tattoo that's a super simple feather on a girl's arm. Mm-hmm. And because it's easy to understand what that is, it looks rad and so they want it. And it mm. it makes, you know, of course now with social media there's tattoo celebrities and it's the, like, you know, persona of there's dozens and dozens of different you know, clicky personas you could yeah. be a part of yeah. on Instagram and any different kind of career. I feel like iPhones really screwed tattoo culture. Yeah. Because it went from it went from people like obsessing about the rare coffee table book that came out mm-hmm. that has, you know, a large format where you can really like, you know, observe what's going on and like really dig into something to just whimsically passing through stuff on your phone that's mm-hmm. a small mm-hmm. you know what I mean it's like so it doesn't it doesn't lend itself it's like if all you had with museums was what you could view on Instagram of museums and you mm-hmm. never actually saw the museums like who cares about paintings then because they're just not yeah. that they're not that great on Instagram yeah you know it might be it might be an, an awesome Caravaggio painting in person but on Instagram it just looks watered down yeah, yeah. like you lose mm-hmm. you lose all the impact <clears throat> And so I think probably, and I mean, I think it's really done the same thing with painters. 
like fine art painters. Yeah. Like the guys that I've watched just since the Instagram explosion, the guys that have exploded in the painting, like fine art realm, um, they're really not that great, but their stuff's super simple and digestible on a small format. So they get more they get more press. Yeah. Or they mm-hmm. get they get more like I don't know, forward progress in like the sales and you know. Yeah. Kind of, which I mean that's your job, so you know. Interesting. Yeah. It's confusing. We still can't wrap our heads around it sometimes. Yeah. But it's, you know, obvious that that is happening. Yeah. Just based on what or, people come into the shop. With. I mean, I think there'll be a recoil from it too. Yeah, I could see that. Like I So, one of my favorite as far as painters go, Van Gogh is my mm, okay. Van Gogh, if yeah. to pronounce it properly. Uh, is it really Van Gogh? Yeah. Is it? The, yeah, because the, the uh, Dutch mm. yeah. pronunciation, yeah. Okay. I think, yeah, I think it's Dutch. Um, I had no idea. Yeah, it depends on what part of the world you're in when you say yeah. it. Yeah. But um, anyway, so Van Gogh uh, is one of my favorites, and I've only seen his stuff up until recently on like TV mm-hmm. or seeing stuff on the internet and uh, several months ago I was in Chicago and went to went to the Museum of Fine Arts Chicago and they have several artists yeah. Um, yeah yeah and they have several uh, Van Gogh paintings there and seeing them in person completely different mm-hmm. but I'm also I'm also a uh, tactile mm-hmm. learner so I for me to really experience it, I need to be able to touch it and feel it and see, like, feel what the, which I can't do. No, I wish I could. No, I wish I did. Um, but there is definitely, like, being in person and being, that ability to pick it up and hold it, yeah. if you could, and look at it in person rather than holding holding a phone or a well, computer. Even things like letterpress, <clears throat> you know, like typesetting. Like yeah. we're physically typesetting the lead and, you know, Phil's done plates that are polymer plates and when you put it on Instagram it just looks like a flat yeah. image. But yeah. the amount of work that goes into drawing the design, setting it on the press, printing it, the layers, you know, you can't... Mm-hmm. You almost have to take a video of the process to explain... You know how great something is because it was registered perfectly, or yeah. You, know, you, you but it's you can't explain that necessarily versus with social media. Yeah, well, and well, with letterpress too. There is something about in that world. It's the texture of the paper mm-hmm. yeah. touching. It's the it's the uh, you know, impression. The, the impression of yeah. the letters, all that kind of stuff, uh, makes a huge difference. And it always reminds me of. Uh, uh, did you see the movie American Psycho? Yes. Remember that movie? Right. When they're all comparing their we business just, cards? We just made business cards <laughs> with that typeset as the yeah. model. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, it is a fascinating, fascinating world. I had never thought about that, that, that making an impact when it comes to tattooing. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, things, you know, things change and the industries move and, I mean, the TV shows changed a lot. I think TV shows you had, you had you had a now you had a nationwide audience of people that a found it more acceptable, um, and I mean pretty much overnight must have been around '03 that Miami Ink came out, mm-hmm. and there was a couple shows before that, but they didn't really get any traction, and then uh, Miami Ink comes out and it just it, it legitimized it as like a business. Like 
across the board. So Mm -hmm. now it's easier to go... I mean, since then, it's easier to go to the bank and get a loan. It's easier to have your CPA understand your... Hmm. You know what your business entails. Like it, it just made a lot of things easier. If you wanted to rent space, like all of a sudden you started seeing tattoo shops pop up in like shopping malls, where yeah, I don't know why anybody would ever want by choice to work in a mall. It's kind of like wanting to work in a cubicle. But <laughs> if, but, but before that, you wouldn't have been able to. Nobody was going to do it. Nobody's going to rent you space next to Nordstrom's. Right. At, I mean, that's just not going to happen because that's. They always viewed tattooing as a side of society that they don't want. Yeah, so mm-hmm. even renting from like a a regular landlord can be difficult, or, or could have been. And now, now it's easy. Like now, you tell somebody that you're a tattooer, and they're impressed. Where it used to be, there was like a an automatic recoil. You know, like ooh, like that's what you do. Like gross. Like you must be a biker drug addict kind of. Thing, yeah. You know, um, and and the TV shows are purely what did that. Like, you could almost yeah. see the transition, like, overnight. But it also taught, falsely, a lot of young artists that don't care about tattooing, that don't like tattooing, that have never been, like, necessarily attracted to it, that, like, oh, illustration's not going to work out for me. Uh, I suck, but I can make a good living as a tattooer. So, mm-hmm. you had a lot of people that were, like, just artists that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe were art school kids that needed jobs so they taught themselves how to tattoo and moved to LA tattooed the area code on their face and call it a day <laughs> I mean I'm not even exactly like it's just it's, it's been a different a different transition you know? that's it that's interesting so I mean do you see is there good and bad to that having happened oh yeah I mean the the amount of good tattooers that are out there now is insane like it's it's incredible yeah, the amount of bad tattooers, of course, are even bigger. Of course, yeah. Um, but no, I mean, there's it's just it's different. So like when I started tattooing, there you really couldn't buy tattoo supplies real easily. Um, there was like maybe four or five supply companies in the country. Uh, the main two were Spalding and Rogers, and then there was National. And both of those just to just to be able to purchase their products. You had to have other tattooers vouch for your professional credit. Interesting. So, like, the first company that I could order from was National. And I think I'd probably been tattooing for... I'd probably been tattooing for about a year and a half or two years when I placed my first order. So, before that, I had to buy supplies off friends that were local or try to get on, like, a group order or whatever. And I finally had a couple guys vouch for me so I could start placing my own orders. And those orders were to buy powder pigment and loose needles and needle-making jigs. And so then, once you made your order with the supply company, then you could sit at home on your day off and make tattoo supplies. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't buy pre-made needles. So we, like, it didn't even exist. Oh, wow. Yeah, now they're all made in China. Like, a lot of it, just, like, child labor garbage. Like, they're absolute garbage. Um, but you, yeah, you'd, you'd have to make all your equipment yourself. So we had to learn how to make power units, make machines, like, build machines from scratch, uh, solder needles and different groupings and figure out which kind of grouping you liked and buy different kinds of forceps because they would spread the needles differently and feeler gauge and like all of these different things that we had to do that nobody does anymore. 
Like, wow. nope. I mean, if you've been tattooing less than 10 years, you don't even know how. Wow. Like, why would you? You could just buy everything. And there's just factories in China now that just, they just have people lined up making needles all day long. Old acupuncture supply yeah. companies. Wow. Do you think that's also part of, like, TV shows making it more mainstream, open the door for businesses to go, oh, we can, we can capitalize on this industry? Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Interesting. Yeah. But and so and so then where that where that's awesome is like I don't make needles anymore. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like so I quit making needles probably ten years ago. So I made needles for like ten years. Okay. And then uh, I mean they're they're fine. I mean, there's there are good companies that you can buy good stuff from. It's more expensive just like everything else. Um but you can get you can get good supplies now, and I mean, and that's helped out because I own a pigment company, mm-hmm. so that's been beneficial because used to be everybody knew how to make their own pigment, right? Okay. Now no one does, but I do. So I make interesting. So my old gold company makes authentic, like old style tattoo pigment. Yeah. You know, and so that's the that's the marketing strategy that has. So, I mean, it's worked out to my advantage as well, okay. getting in when I did. Yeah. But a lot of the younger guys, now you don't have to make pigment, you don't have to make machines, you don't have to make needles, you don't have to make anything. Just worry about drawing. Well, so of course you're going to get better faster. Yeah. Because all you have to do is find the... And, yeah, you now you find the one thing that you're good at. Whereas uh, the community at large 20 years ago or you know even before I got into it, everybody did everything and mm-hmm. everybody was cool with everybody. So the biomechanical tattooer guy would hang out with the portrait guy that would hang out with the, you know, black and gray Chicano guy that would hang out with the Japanese, you know, old school guy and the American new school guy. And like every, everybody was just in tattooing for the sake of tattooing. And now everything's separated. Mm -hmm. When you go to a convention, you can pick one or two styles and that's going to be all the guys that are there are of this one or two style. Mm. It's like clicky. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a fascinating thing in that beginning a business, so you open a tattoo shop, you knew how to do all those other things. Probably the easy thing would just, oh, I'll just keep my tattoo shop, keep doing that. But you basically started diversifying. So now you're doing letterpress, you're doing... Yeah, and I didn't open a shop. I I think I tattooed for 12 years before I opened my own shop. Okay. So I only... I didn't worry about running a business at first. Yeah. And then when I first opened Red Letter One, it was just a private studio because I just moved back from California. So I was traveling a ton and working in Japan and working in Switzerland and like I was out every month. I flew somewhere every month. So... I just had, like, a little shop in Ebor that was, like, my private studio. Yeah. And then as time went on, like, more dudes came in and more business and then new business locations. And, you know, it grew organically on its own. So for would you, like, if you're giving advice to somebody in just from a business standpoint in this, because clearly what you, it seems to me what you're doing is, you know what? I'm capitalizing on this. Not everyone knows how to do this anymore, so I'm going to make, I'm going to start making pigments. Um, no, I fell into it. Did you? Yeah, totally. Oh, okay. Yeah, so like the pigment thing, I mean, again, I didn't have a choice. Like, 
I mean, I, you could buy pigment, but if you were gonna be, if you were gonna make good tattoos in the '90s, you made your own pigment for sure. Interesting. And so that's at least what I was taught. And so I mean, I'm a young kid, and I know I need to make my own pigment. So you start figuring out how to make your own pigment, and you try a thousand different formulas before you find out what works best for you. And then flash to and kind of what happened with the pigment thing is a couple years down the road, probably. About, probably about six or seven years of making pigment and, and I was working all over the world really but I started getting all of these people that would A. steal my pigment or ask me to sell them pigment hmm. and so I just randomly had this really weird scenario where I tattooed this guy Travis every week for months and months and months and every time he'd get tattooed somebody would call and ask like a friend of mine from New York say would call and be like hey man like can you sell me some red I'd be like nah dude like can't that's all I got and then the next time Travis was getting tattooed a guy from San Francisco would call and be like hey man like sell me some white like you got any extra that like I really need white and I'm like Mm -hmm. nah dude it's just mine or whatever so after a while there was a pattern in Travis and it was just random circumstance like it was just like a really odd thing and, and then at a point, this client of mine was like, well, dude, why do people keep calling trying to buy your pigment? And I was, you know, so then I tell him, you know, the, the, steel, the spiel on how I make pigment. And he's like, well, why don't you just sell it to him? I'm like, it's too, like, it's too involved, and I'm not, like, the pigment guy. I'm a, I'm a tattooer, you know? Mm-hmm. And so basically me and him, he was like, well, you should make pigment. Like, I'm in manufacturing. I already know how to do all this, like... If you've got the formulas and you know what to do, like let's go and you know get in bed together, and so we we did, and it just kind of blew up under our feet. Like it wasn't, it was not something that I was like gonna be the pigment guy. Yeah. No. It sounds like you didn't even want to be the pigment guy. Totally. I still don't know if I do. (laughs) Yeah. No. I mean, it's it's a it's a weekly conflict. Because I I mean the the thing is is I I grew up always wanting to be an artist. Okay. Tattooing was the the natural medium to use, but if for some reason tattooing dries up, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to be an artist. Like I'm going to keep painting or printing, or I'll learn sculpture, or I'll do something. Like I don't I don't want to live my life not being an artist. And at no point did I ever think I want to work in a chemical factory. Like the young childhood version of Phil Holt never had a dream of making tons of money working in a chemical plant. Which is basically what I do, okay. minus the tons. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's interesting. So you knew pretty young, like art was your yeah. art was your thing. My mom's a painter. And okay. My dad was a musician, so it was like me and my brother were certainly raised to be artists. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I love that idea too. That if even if you if red letter one didn't exist, old old gold didn't didn't exist, the letterpress thing doesn't exist. You're still going to be an artist. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to find a way. A uh, broke artist, for sure. Well, all right. Yeah, yeah. That, and that's okay. So the thing that fascinates me about that is how many people don't do that. Like, that's what's inside. They want it. They know that's what they want to be, and that's what they love, their passion is, but they don't do it because of whatever other circumstances. I've got to make money. I've got to do all these other things. Never true to the thing that's most passionate for them yeah um, yeah I don't know I can't imagine not 
Yeah. I mean, you're too, like you're making an active choice, and I mean, I think even with even with tattooing, there's been a lot. Like, I mean, I've I've painted my whole career, mm-hmm. that I've, and my paintings have nothing to do with tattooing. Almost, almost never. You know, it's almost always just like a fine art thing. Um, and more in my twenties and thirties than now being forty, it's like I don't work as obsessively as I used to. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I would tattoo all day, every day, and paint all night, every night. And I knew a ton of other painters that were in their twenties that did the exact same thing. You know, where they worked at the grocery store. So they could pay their bills, and then when they got off work, they went home and they painted all night. Uh, if you want to be an artist and you spend all of your time, you know, you work your 40-hour-a-day job, and then you spend every other bit of time drinking beer and watching TV, like, you don't really have much of an excuse for not being an artist. Mm. Like, it's just a dedication thing. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. If you want to be a power lifter, be a power lifter. But you're probably not going to be a very good power lifter if you just think about it and you never actually go and do it. Right. Usually when you don't want to go do it. Yeah. Like, that's how athletes train and get as good as they are. If you're a professional athlete, it's constantly doing it when you don't want to. Yeah. And art's the exact same thing. Like, if you want to be an artist, like, you just have to do it. Mm-hmm. Your chances of making it, and like, yeah, it's slim. Yeah. And I think even... And I, th- I think about this often, and this is also why I have tons of other little business ideas and plans because that, that stuff stems from having four kids. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I do need to be responsible. <laughs> but uh, just because you could pull off being an artist for a decade doesn't mean you're going to get two decades and that doesn't mean you're going to get three. Mm-hmm. And so I'm rolling up on the third decade so it's... You get nervous, you know, being independently sufficient. Yeah. You know, I mean, it is it is nerve-wracking being an adult and not knowing where the next paycheck comes. Sure. You know, there's, you, you definitely learn to save. You do the envelope system. Yeah. You got to budget your money, like, super well. Yeah. there's just, I mean, again, tattooing 22 years and winter still sucks every year. Mm-hmm. Like, every January and February, everybody globally starts to, like, think about getting new jobs. Really? Tattooers, yeah. It just dropped off. Oh, why is that? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's it's a fringe hobby. It's not a necessary thing. Mm, yeah. You know, so it's like, how many people are just going to whimsically get tattooed right after Christmas, right before taxes? Mm-hmm. It's cold. Like, most places, not here, but most places it's cold. Mm. So, I mean, it just drops off, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, like, the longer you do it, you should start to learn to save and prep for the winter. Yeah. But, I mean, most, most jobs have that. If you're a farmer, like... Yeah, you have to do true. that tenfold. True. I have a, I've several times in my life had people say things, you know, people that work whatever corporate job it is, and like, oh, it must be so nice to work for yourself, be your own boss, and set your own schedule. And I'm like, yeah, it's it's not everything you think it is. No, it is Yeah, like, because for me, the way I always put it to them is like, you, right, you go to work at, you know, your cubicle, whatever it is, your office. At the end of the day, if you don't do your job that that day, that week, the machine still is still going because you're just you know you're one piece in that entire thing. Eventually, maybe it would fall apart with no one doing the, the thing, but you're still gonna get paid. You probably day, just find a stuff. new machine too, right? You yeah. just jump to the next machine. For the guy that works for himself or herself, uh, 
you don't if you don't work that day or that week or don't put any effort in, you don't eat. Right. Yeah. And I was like, it's not as fun as you think it is sometimes. No. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, back to the question of there's a lot of people that, like, maybe feel like in their soul they should be an artist and make art, but they're focusing more on, you know, their job and rugamaroo life and how do you balance making good meals and exercising and raising kids and all the things that you're supposed to balance. And I usually get fumbled around the, like, I get scared to start something new Mm. or, like, almost the hardest part usually the hardest part is getting yourself to do it like Phil's saying having the discipline to be like alright I would much rather sit and watch this movie right now or take a nap or whatever but getting your canvas out and getting your paintbrush out you know that's the first step and then you have to be okay with making mistakes or spending Mm -hmm. I'll spend five hours painting something and you know in my head I'm like this looks terrible and he'll come look at it and be like, yeah, it does look terrible. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then I get super frustrated and he's like, look, like you have to just be okay, you know, uh, trying and making it work and figuring out where you messed up and throwing it in the fire if you need to and starting a completely different one. Yeah. And he constantly reminds me that he's burned plenty of paintings, which is comforting. Yeah. But also he's an amazing painter. So when I'm sitting here painting something, looking at him painting something, I'm like, man, like, why do you have to be so good? It's so frustrating because <laughs> then I have to walk back over here and look at what I'm doing. Um, but he definitely gets on me all the time with, like, you know, you just have to, you know, if you want to make it happen and you skip a few hours of sleep, like, you have to skip a few hours of sleep. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, it's... Getting over that fear of, like, the first initial drawing that you're going to make or, you know, the first initial mark that you're going to make is definitely a big thing, too, that I think he's constantly just like, get over it. <laughs> just do it. Yeah. Which has been helpful for me. Yeah. I You know, people say all the time, like, you know, starting something is easy, but finishing is where is is the hard part, which I... I've never really agreed with it because I always think starting the something starting, is not, yeah. starting <laughs> for most people is the hard part. Yeah, it's not the finishing because at least in the finishing, like you've already you're you're moving down that road. It's easier to go down the hill because you started. Yeah. than it is to start going up the hill so that you can flow down. I think, and so like, w- yeah, with that, I feel like I've got a cop out <clears throat> because I don't really feel like there was ever a choice in starting. Mm. It wasn't really an option of whether or not the art path and independent... Like, there was never a choice ever for me to go work a corporate job somewhere. Yeah. Like, I was going to do this. It was just what 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 it was going to look like, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure about. You are like, I'll live on the street if I have to, but I'm going to be an artist. I mean, I don't know if I would have gone <laughs> that far, but I just... I think I always had, like, a brash sort of confidence that like you you can make it mm-hmm. you're just um, I mean I definitely lived for 10 years like super broke yeah you know? I mean it was it was really really hard at first so you didn't get to go out to eat and you didn't get to drink four dollar lattes and you know yeah. there were there were things that you like having cell phones and fancy bicycles and new jeans and like you didn't do any of that None of that. Like, mm-hmm. it was all 100% about, like, making it as an artist, which 
everybody that wants to be an artist is broke at first. Yeah. You know. Some at the end, also. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and they can change anywhere, any day. <laughs> could, could happen tomorrow. So yeah, I mean, it's it was it was just never a, never an option of what whether or not I was going to go work at yeah. the office. Yeah. Or that it was just always. You're gonna find a way to do this. Find a way to do something. Yeah. He also started working when he was eight. Ten. Ten. Yeah. That's kind I of mean, funny. I feel like that's that's considered child labor. <laughs> yeah. So when I was when I was ten, so in Minnesota, in I mean, this was like what, like 1986. Right. Back so, when we didn't have those. Well, <laughs> in, in '86 in Minnesota, in order to have a paper route, you had to be. 12. So my dad okay. made me use my brother's social security number. <laughs> and and we we got I mean it was pretty legit. I mean we had um, I think we delivered 300 papers. We had seven paper routes. Wow. And so we worked every morning delivering papers and putting papers together in 2 degree weather. 22 yeah. degree below. You actually were a paper boy. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I've ever met yeah. someone for that's, five years. But that's what they actually yeah. did. Because you always hear about that. Like that's this quintessential thing about yeah. uh, being a paper boy when you're a kid. I've never actually known anyone that yeah. actually did that. Mm-hmm. No, we had to wake up at 2:30 in the morning. We had to be done by seven. Okay. Oh, took us about five. Did hours. you go to school after that too? It was it was just weekend route. Oh, okay. So, All right. so we never had weekends. Like, we never... I mean, Friday night, everybody's hanging out and partying, and yeah. you're 13, and you're, like, in bed at seven. Like, I gotta get up at... <laughs> yeah, two. I gotta be up when you're going to bed. Mm-hmm. And then we would sleep all day, and... Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of crazy in hindsight. I mean, I thought it was normal, because I think however you grow up... Yeah. Is... Like, however you grow up, you assume everybody else is growing up that way. Yeah. You're like, you're 10, and everybody just gets a job when they're 10, right? And so... Yeah. You're like, you started to notice that, like, nobody else is working. Like, <laughs> none of your friends have jobs or do... And, you know, so you start right. picking up on it, but it still seemed normal. Like, thinking about making my kids work like that. Yeah. Which, they're all older than that now. Well, three of them are. Um, it's insane. Like, I would never make my kids do that. Yeah. But also, there was... The, the, the neat switch was then having kids. Because when I was the kid, you're kind of pissed at your folks for making you work so much. Mm-hmm. Because we made a ton of money, and all of the money just went back to, like, familial stuff. Mm. So it's like, now you get to buy your school clothes, and you get to buy your bicycle. And mm. I'm like, well, everybody else gets that stuff, like, pro bono. Like, right. Why do we have to pay right. for all this? Um, but looking back on it, it's like, man, my dad woke up at 2.30 in the morning to take us, to teach us to work. Yeah. There's no way I would do that with my kids. It's so I'm way too lazy to wake up at 2 in the morning right. to teach them work ethics. Right. Like, nah, like, sleep in. Like... Yeah, but do no, you, it's a weird angle. So, do you think maybe uh, that affected your when I become an artist? Like, I'm gonna find a way to make this, yeah, make this work. I'm not yeah, gonna I mean, go I never, a job that I don't want to yeah. do. Yeah, I mean, and and I mean, I never slowed down. Like, I mm-hmm. never, I never lost. I mean, I learned work ethic in that time of my life. Yeah, and I never, never stopped having work ethics. Yeah, yeah, it was always this desire to get up early and work. Yeah, so I mean, it it, it definitely ingrained something. Yeah, 
how you you mentioned the like growing up that way like well everyone this is normal for everyone uh, makes me think of now that we're gonna get into this but our earlier conversation of religion and how people right. grow up in religion yeah. certain religions and go well this is everyone mm-hmm. of course and then you have a conversation with somebody that didn't grow up in that and they think you're what yeah you're crazy that's not real right because you're like no this is normal and they're like yeah normal no. <laughs> like, that's super weird yeah, yeah. Uh, Sarah, how did you get into the art, this art stuff? Um, when I was in high school, I really wanted to go to college, and my dad wouldn't let me go to college without declaring what my major was going to be, and okay. he was like, you're going to keep the same major all four years, period. And so I chose art, because that was the only thing that I really liked doing in high school, was art and history, and what can you do with history? Um... Which he was like, you're going to pick art? Like, really? Let's can't make a profession out of that. <laughs> um, which I think he still makes fun of me for that. But uh, So anyways, I went to USF for art studio, and I did a handful of um, drawing and painting classes, and printmaking is what I ended up doing the most. So I got a bachelor's in printmaking. Um, started working at Red Letter One as just like a weekend job when I was in college. Still and then. In college, yeah. It ended up to when I got out of college, they moved to a bigger space, so I ended up working there more in like a more full-time kind of aspect. Um, and I mean, I took a break after college, because USF just, I mean, when you're in art school, they're constantly making you produce stuff to where at the end of it, you're just exhausted from trying to pretend like you're making art that's about something. Um, so I took a break for probably a year and a half and then started doing some more watercolor painting and obviously have been influenced by tattoo art and mm-hmm. uh, imagery and culture and just being around you know, all of the guys and seeing the stuff that they're making. I mean, I had never known anything about tattoo culture or tattoo art before starting to work at the shop. So definitely got interested into a lot of that stuff and... Um, Letterpress and printmaking has kind of gone hand in hand. It's a very different process because I did a lot of intaglio and screen printing in college. Um, so it's a different process, but ink smells the same mm-hmm. and like the press runs similarly. And it's been a really uh, fun thing to learn. Meticulous. All printmaking is super meticulous and yeah. really hard to explain like how it's done and. I enjoy that about it, I think. I think that's why I like it, too, is it has, like, old craft feel. Yeah. yeah. Which I think tattooing is more of a commercial craft. Yeah. You know? Um, it's neat messing with old analog tools and getting away from, like, the digital. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We get super excited about paper. Like, we'll spend, <laughs> you know, like, hours picking out which paper samples we're going to try, and then, you know, they get dropped off, and we're like, ooh, we can't wait to print on this mm-hmm. paper, and... No, I, I mean, like most guys, you geek out about tools. Yeah. You know, so it's it's neat to geek out about new new art tools. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and so the, your press that you use too is it the is it the kind where like each letter is a separate block or uh, yeah typeset yeah typeset yeah yeah yes. I mean, we have I think about thirty five drawers of type. Yeah. Um, and we have three different presses, mm-hmm. and then a book binder. 
Um, and then we print on. I mainly print on polymer plates. You got a full, and full a print paper, shop. And a right paper there. cutter from eighteen. When's the paper cutter? Yeah, I have this a uh, a stack oh, cutter that I rebuilt. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's done now. Which isn't it? I think if I remember right, you were telling me it's not a. Like you, this would not be approved no. now at like a... A business. Yeah. No, it's just chop your arm off. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, not it's OSHA not compliant? No, I think it's 1892. I mean, wow. it's old. Yeah, it's old. Wow. But I mean, it, it works great. Mm-hmm. I mean, we cut business cards on it every... Yeah, so like every everything's like hand done, you know, yeah. ordering the paper, cutting the paper, typesetting everything. Mm-hmm. I typeset a lot. Okay. Which has a different like look, which I mean I really like, and I think a lot of people don't like, mm-hmm. and uh, that's why it's a small. I mean, it's, I, don't, I don't even know if it's a market; it's so tiny. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you get cards, they're all a little different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get. It's not. It's not like this Vista print thing where everything's glossy and right, boring. Right. You know, it's like everything has like a slight. Um, I don't want to say imperfection. What's the wasisabi, the Japanese? You know, it's like it's perfect through its imperfections. Mm, yeah. You know, it's the imperfections that make it perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, the hand quality, because that's lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, everything's... <clears throat> I mean, and, and really, that. I mean, the, so the new press we just got is from 1952, I'm pretty sure. It's called a Vandercook 4, and... Um, there's not many of them. There's only a couple hundred that were that are around. I think initially they made less than a thousand of them, uh, and we found it in England and had it rebuilt and shipped over. Wow! Uh, and the basically what happened was, is Vandercook made the press, and then uh, offset lithography blew up, and so there's all these presses, like letter press presses, um, that became useless like overnight. Wow. And it's not so. It's kind. It's kind of like a digital camera, where it's like if a new tech comes out, the old cameras are just garbage. Yeah. But these things are fifteen hundred pounds, so it's not like you can just discard it. You know, they're mm-hmm. big and they're expensive and they're. I mean, the way they work is mechanically like really impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but offset lithography popped up, and you could now make things. Super big, super fast, super perfect, and exact every time. And since they're before, before that everything was a little bit off. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody got allured by the fact that you could make it exactly the same every time, mm-hmm. and so that stayed mm-hmm. important for quite a while. And then inkjet took over, and you know now you can get things that you know you just run photographs off your eighty-nine dollar Epsom at your house, and right. they look perfect, and they're super stale and boring. Yeah. So, you know, now there's now there's a shift back to the imperfect mm-hmm. imperfections. Yeah. Now, yeah. Now you want that handmade. Yeah, and in you know. in printmaking in general, like when you do intaglio, it's you when you do like a critique, you have your best, you know, ten prints, and so maybe you print twenty five prints, and you show your best ten, and each of those are hand wiped. So you, you know, you ink it with you know, tools, and mm-hmm. then at the very end, you kind of wipe it with a cloth, and then you powder the side of your palm, and you, like, rub the plate in a particular fashion, and so every single one, you're trying to get them close together, but sure. it's, you know, it's like the last move that the artist makes before the print's made. 
which is again that kind of like everything's uh, personalized and yeah. imperfect, but also perfect at the same time. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah, that, I so in the '90s, like early '90s, I worked in a print shop at my the like this Christian school that I went to Jackson. was run by a church in Panama City, okay. Florida. Was run by a church, and they had a internal print shop. Oh, cool! So all their like brochures and stuff yeah. like that were all usually printed in house. So I ended up working in this in this print shop and doing, and I loved it. It was fun, but it was the kind where you, uh, you know, you you did your layout on the paper, and then um, in a dark room, you did the you did, like the flash exposure for the, mm. and then transferred onto a plate mm-hmm. to the metal plate. To go in the in the machine and all that kind of stuff. You guys were using magnesium plates. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that whole thing, and it was fun. The problem I had is I'm a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. I grew up like I was a musician, and yeah. so I did the like everything's got to be perfect. Like timing's got to be right. So when I would help in this print shop, I was like I loved it, but I hated it at the same time because if one little thing was off, I couldn't let it. I couldn't let it go. Yeah. Like, I had to, Ah, I'm gonna print another plate because it didn't catch on that side mm-hmm. good enough, and it's a wildly frustrating medium. No matter if it's lithography, intaglio, screen printing, like it's time consuming, and mm-hmm. at least for my head, it's like a negative. So, however, I think it's gonna look. Even when I look at the typeset, I'm like, oh, that type's gonna look rad, and then I'll print it, and I'm like, that doesn't look at all like I thought it was gonna look. It's a very like reverse messes with your head kind of mm. medium. No, it's super tricky. I mean, I've had a couple prints now that I've run, you know, three or four times, so you got hundreds of prints that you just throw away before, just because, whatever, like, the blue is a little too dark or the orange is too transparent, or mm-hmm. then once you print it, if it's not spot on, you got to toss it and redo it. Yeah. And you're just, it's frustrating. <laughs> I feel like that's quintessential art world, though. Yeah. Uh, like you were saying... With painting, of like you, I've burned a hundred paintings to get yeah. to one. Yeah. yeah, and literally burn them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's usually best to fill the fireplace. <laughs> I don't That's think it's funny. Uh, no, I've burned a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah. that um, there's a good release in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just being like, nah, I'm done. That just didn't work out. I'm just gonna burn it. See, for me, like that, it's frustrating because I spent all this time yes. doing that. No, and he's constantly oh, yeah. is like, let go, and I'm like, yeah, it's probably a good good practice for me to have. I definitely like, think like if you if if you don't <clears throat> if you think they're too important, then then they're never gonna be important. You mm. have to you have to let go of it. Yeah, yeah. It's the only and. I mean, with oil painting, for sure, there's... The, the guy that taught me to oil paint um, in California was really good about this, where he would he would sometimes work for hours on a painting, and it would just be the most gorgeous thing you've ever seen, and he would just wipe it off with turpentine. Just restart tomorrow. Just because it didn't, for some reason, wasn't hitting him. Yeah. Just didn't feel right to him. And I mean, he would paint all night, and then just wipe it off, and then the next day, it's always better. Like I, he, there's no way he ever went back the next day to repaint it, and it was worse ever. But the only wow. way you can get there is realizing it's not important. Interesting. Which is tough. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Because usually artists get really attached to their own work. Yeah. Like it's oh, their yeah. baby, but it ain't a baby. You know what I mean? Right. You know, it's not. Like you do need to let go of it. But, yeah. But. but 
a lot of time. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know a lot of guys that save every little thing they've ever done, and that's cool for them. It's not not my philosophy. No. No. Interesting. Are you like that too, sir? Oh, I get super attached. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so it's super good for me to have Phil to come over and be like, it's not working. And I'm like, I felt like that deep inside, but I'm so attached to it that like, I didn't want to admit it. Um, he'll also be like, hey, can I see your painting to like adjust it or show mm-hmm. you how to paint, you know, something on it or whatever. And I get like, no, we get fucked. <laughs> I get like, I get really tense and he's like, relax, it's okay. And I'm like, okay. Um... But yeah, I, I definitely get too attached to things and constantly I'm like trying to let go because obviously he's way better at painting and I need him to show me, you know, what he's going to show me and I need to learn. And Well, and I had a huge problem with that at first because tattooing has to be perfect. Oh, yeah. There's no, I mean, yeah. it has to be you don't get a sharp, perfect every, yeah, like no second shots and it needs to be, it's... It's exhausting, but every person you work on feels that they are the only person you work on, and they are the most important person you've ever worked mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's okay. Like it's, it's good to be like that. But I think a lot of times tattooers, when they switch into painting, even just for like hobby purposes, uh, they bring that with. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and then your life's terrible. Like It's exhausting. You can't. Yeah. You can't you can't constantly feel like everything you're doing is that important. So, it it took a while, but I've learned to realize that the painting stuff can get burnt because the tattoo stuff, you can't... Right. Yeah. You know, screwed up the tattoo, you can't just throw the guy in the fireplace. <laughs> so... Burn that arm off real quick and then I'll start Yeah, no. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, a good, it's a good balance. Interesting. To be I've never thought about that yeah. on the... Yeah, it makes sense on the tattooing side that it's got to be perfect the first time out of the gate. Right. And But on the painting side, I never thought, it didn't really dawn on me that there's two different, two different avenues. Yeah, I think the fact that you can throw it away means that sometimes you should exercise that. Mm. Not everything can just get tossed out. Mm. So Interesting. Yeah. So uh, I know we've got to wrap up here in just a second couple questions just to kind of finish up so what kind of advice would you give to people going into tattoo world now or just art in general um, which I think you just said a little bit of really yeah, yeah. good advice I, I mean uh, I, th- I honestly I think the biggest problem I've seen with kids in general is where people that want to not even kids but just anybody that wants to do it uh, is just being 100% dedicated and like in like mm-hmm. you, what? Like figure out what that level of dedication is and how much time you have, and then discipline yourself to always do that. Um, I also uh, I, I compare a lot of my art life to like jujitsu martial arts kind of life. Okay. And in 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 that the most the most impressive stories I've ever come across are the guys that I've known that that I'm enamored by are usually. You know, so I mean, like, jujitsu, like, the guys that are really good are, you know, 22 and super strong and super athletic and flexible, and they're just animals, right? But there's been a few guys that have popped up that are, like, my my buddy was just talking about one that just got his black belt a couple weeks ago. I think he's 55. Mm. And I think he started training at 40, you know? Wow. And um, there's this guy, Kurt Oziander, and 
California, kind of peripheral to know, that he, he started training when he was like 35, 36, and just dedicated himself to it. Now he's like 50-something years old, and he's a tank. He's awesome. And he just started learning how to tattoo at mm. 55, and he's, he's got these really rad, um, I guess, like video, podcasty kind of jujitsu stuff. Okay. But uh, I was watching one recently where he's like, yeah, I'm starting to tattoo, and like... You know, he already he teaches classes all the time. He runs the Health Gracie School in San Francisco, so he's super busy with that. But he has certain regimented times where he sits down and he draws at the tattoo shop and learns how to tattoo. And most people that are fifty years old or fifty five or however old he is are they're they already gave up. They're not gonna try like most people are like, Oh well, you know, I should have learned how to do that when I was younger and it's like if you wanna do it, just shut up and do it. Mm-hmm. But you have to actually put the put the work in. Right. And it seems to me, everybody I've noticed through my career that has blinders on and just works obsessively always is successful. I haven't seen anybody fail. Mm. No. Like, you'll get there if you try. Yeah. But, you know, if you, if you try real hard for six months and then start watching TV, then you're probably not there. Right. Yeah. Because you can, you can be like a hobby painter, and it, there's really no effect on that. Yeah. Like, there's lots of, you know, guys that sit around, and they've painted every Sunday, you know, all summer. They're 60. They paint landscapes on the beach, and they suck, and they're never going to be good, and it doesn't matter because they're doing it for, like, cathartic, like, meditative process. Mm-hmm. They're not really trying to be, like, they're not trying to, like, you know, end up at the Guggenheim. Or, you know what I mean? They're just mm-hmm. hobby painters, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, tattooing doesn't have that. Yeah. Like, you don't get to be, like, the hobbyist. Not in my book. And I, I would seriously doubt you want to get tattooed by a guy that's the hobbyist. Like, right. yeah, he's terrible yeah. at it, but he really likes yeah. how it makes him feel. Yeah. It's like, no, like, it's going to be on <laughs> you forever, you know? Give you, that'll be your practice canvas mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like, right. no, who, no who, one. Who wants to do that? Right. Yeah. I mean, and if you do want to do that, now you've got the worst clientele on the planet, so it's not really, there's nothing flattering about it. So tattooing, you have to sink your teeth in, like, 110%. Yeah. Painting, who cares? Just, if you like doing it, do it. Who cares? You can just throw it in your fire. Throw it in the fire, Interesting. Yeah. Um, so, uh, to kind of wrap it up, a couple things I always ask, one being that, um, to to you, and then the last question I ask is to the people listening. But um, under the idea of boldly going, pursuing your dream, going after your passion, do you feel like that's something? This is for both of you. Do you feel like that's something that is um, accessible to everyone? Everyone has that ability to. I can pursue my passion. I can I can boldly go and do whatever the thing is that I want to do. In like a capitalistic like feed my family sort of way, mm, whatever whatever way. I mean, just in general. Do I think every passion is practical? Is that what you're asking? No, I'm just asking you. Do you think everyone? Because all people always have excuses, right? Like we were saying, I was like, well, I can't, I can't do this thing because of whatever circumstance. Over here. Well, we you know we were at the pool the other day, and it left an impact on me. But there's a guy. Uh, we're, we're swimming laps at the YMCA, and uh, there's a guy swimming laps who has one arm. 
No legs. And one arm missing. And he's swimming laps. Wow. Legs lost at the hip. And he's like probably 23, 24-year-old Marine. He's got one arm. And I I mean, sure, there's people that are like, yeah, I can't swim laps. Like, it's too hard. And he's like, well, but this guy has one arm. So, yeah, yeah if you want to do something, I think you can... I think that, yeah, and there's, there's people that are going to, like, exceed and go past all boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's few and far between. Like, I surely wouldn't be the guy swimming laps if that was, you know, I mean... Oh, yeah, but I mean, it's... Me either. No, I'd give up. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But, but... That's a great... Uh, yeah, that's a great visual, though, for sure, because it's... That, you know, I hear people all the time, make, like... I can't, I can't do that. I can't go travel because I have to do this, and travel is a big passion. Mm-hmm. But I can't do it because of this over here, or, and I, my my thing is like I feel like you can do probably anything you want to do, if you, like you said, I'm going to dedicate X yeah. amount of time to that, and I'll figure it out. Doesn't necessarily it mean depends on what you want to be get my out career. Of it. Yeah. Right. Doesn't mean doesn't necessarily mean. And I think maybe that's the struggle that a lot of people have, is that, um, and maybe it's an American ideal of, if I'm going to spend my time doing that thing, then it's got to make me money so that I can pay my, pay my bills. Right. Rather than I'm going to spend time doing this thing because it, is good for my soul. It's good for, it's a creative outlet for me. And I've got a job over here that pays my bills, but I'm... Well, and I mean, a lot. I think a lot of people, too, like, they can't... Say, say their goal is they want to be a musician. But a musician just doesn't really pay yeah. what, what they need to live. But then if you sit down and look at it, it's like, well, wait a minute. Like, you want to be a musician with everything in your heart and soul. Like, do you really want to have an iPhone with everything in your heart and soul? Like, do you really want to have $4 coffees? Mm. And do you really... Like, there's all these other things that you put in to like what you need as necessities but those things are just things that you got convinced that you must have mm. when it's like why do you need a phone like like do you really need to have the new car or yeah. like whatever and so because they have all these other restraints they're never going to be what they really want because they're spending all of their time wanting everything else so you, you don't get everything like you have to sacrifice mm. somewhere yeah um so yeah, That's like you want to travel, like you can travel, like anybody can travel. You just might not be traveling the style you want to travel in. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great point. And you might be working two jobs, not getting coffee, not getting new shoes. I mean, you're. I mean, if like, if, yeah. if you're a broke guy, your your only chance of traveling might be a bicycle and a tent. Mm-hmm. You know, but is that that bad? I mean, I think it's that bad. But, <laughs> and a lot of right. people would think it's awesome. And a lot of people yeah, exactly. spend right. all of their fancy money to be able to do trips like that, too. So it's, yeah. just, it's what you like and what you want. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Yeah. The sacrificing. Because, there, yeah, there's an element of sacrifice to do anything that you want to do. You can sacrifice something else. It's a great point. Awesome. Um, anything you want to promote? Any like social media, anything like that? Your shop? Nothing? Yeah, do it. Awesome. Not really. Okay. Cool. Good to, good to talk. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for thanks for taking a few minutes yeah, to uh, to talk. And I and I always wrap up to the listeners of asking them the question of 
you've heard a conversation, a story, what can you do? And I think you hear it in what we've talked about that you don't have to accomplish everything right out of the gate. You can, it's baby steps. It's start the first painting. If it's not great, throw it away, start the next one. And so my, my encouragement to those listening is what can you do this week or this month to start your journey towards the thing that you want to, that you want to do? Maybe it is picking up that brush, getting the canvas and starting the painting and burning it if you need to and then moving on to the next one. So um, take what you've heard and do something with that this week to start down that road. Guys, thanks for being on. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for the thanks. awesome tattoo I have on my arm too. Yeah. 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 Years, years later. Yeah. I get a lot of compliments out of that one probably more than anything else. Yeah? Good. Yeah. We'll get you more. Yeah. You might have to do another one, an important, an important one okay. in a few months. So, oh yeah, I'll let you know. yeah, we talked oh, yeah, about that's it. coming up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. So, cool. Thanks for letting me uh, invade your your day for a few minutes. Yeah.